We are on lesson number six of the winter quarter, which is Solomon dedicates the temple. That's cov covering First Kings chapter eight through chapter nine, verse nine, and Second Chronicles chapter five, verse two, through the end of chapter seven. So, Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is eternal in the heavens. And uh, we pray that you would teach us of this uh, really tremendous demonstration of your glory as your temple was dedicated. And help us learn to appreciate you more as we study that. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first part of the scripture it the quarterly does not cover that is first kings chapter 8 verses 1 through 21 let me give you an overview of that the elders and leaders were assembled the priests brought the ark into the temple's holy of holies beneath the cherubim that had been constructed within the holy of holies the only thing in the ark at that time was the two stone tablets that God himself had written the Ten Commandments on. When the priests left the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then Solomon addressed the people, declaring that the Lord had fulfilled his word to David, that his son would build the temple. So before we even start the lesson, we see the glory of God filling the temple as the priests brought in the ark, as they were instructed to in the law of Moses, and the Lord declared his approval of that by the Shekinah glory appearing in the temple. So now we're on section A. Solomon asks for God's mercy, and this is 1 Kings eight twenty-two through 30. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David my father that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to their way to walk before me as you have walked. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, 
here in heaven your dwelling place, hear and forgive. Solomon is asking God for mercy. Do people need God's mercy? Always. Mercy, everybody remember what mercy is? What is mercy? That is not receiving what we deserve to receive, right? Not receiving the punishment that we deserve to receive, and that basically is the reason Jesus came, is to shield us from the punishment we deserve. So in verse 22, and you can also find this in Second Chronicle chapter 6, verse 13, Solomon had built a five-foot-tall bronze platform by the altar, and he prayed on his knees with his hands outstretched to heaven. So, like that, on his knees. So what is your most common attitude of prayer? Sit down, standing on your face, on your head. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, yeah, for me, it's normally sitting. You know, I have my devotions in the morning, and I'll read the Bible because that kind of kickstarts your prayers, you know, and then I'll pray. That's not the only attitude. I I have never, as far as I know, prayed like Solomon prayed here, on my knees with my hands up toward heaven. If I am very stressed, I will get on my knees. <laughs> I will get on my knees. And that's when I'm really serious <laughs> and I'm, you know, dying. Um, so, but yeah, it, you know, I don't think it matters how, what position you're in or sometimes I'll pray when I'm walking. Yeah, it's just kind of a conversation through the day, right? But we do have more formal times. So verse 23, he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. That is a picture of the saved in fellowship. It is possible to be saved and out of fellowship also. This is a picture of the saved in fellowship, which is the preferred place to be. And Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 kind of describes this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. So being in fellowship with the Lord gives you stability in your life and success in your life. Also, and so many people don't understand that, it seems. So, verses 24 and 25, You have kept with your servant my father David that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. And that was his promise to 
seat when David's son on the throne. And so that is a fulfilled short-term prophecy. Um, you know, the Lord told David this, and even though two of his sons tried to rebel and take over the his kingdom by force, they did not succeed, and the chosen son succeeded him. So there is a conditional statement in verse 25. The second half of the verse, you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel if only your sons take heed to their way to walk before me as you have walked. So if you see in a promise this if, that's going to be a conditional promise, right? So you, the, the sons need to walk as David walked and David paid attention, not perfectly, we know he had some serious sins, but he uh, repented after the sins and fellowship was restored and he walked again. And that is the condition for maintenance of the Davidic throne. Um, and we know from history that, that they failed in that. Then verse 27 speaks of God's omnipresence. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. And Psalm 139, 7 through 10 also talks about that. That's one of David's psalms where he said, O Lord, where can I flee from your presence? You know, if I flee to heaven, you're there. If I'm in the bowels of the earth, you're there. So he can't get away from God. And this is one of the things that God, one of the attributes, you know, we are made in God's image, but this is something that God does not share with any created being, including Satan, or any of the angels, this, this um, omnipresence, along with omnipotence and omniscience. Those are things that are God's alone. So, <clears throat> you know, Solomon is acknowledging this fact here. God's everywhere all at once. A temple, a temple can't contain him. But this is a place where people can come and who are limited, you know, physically limited where God is not, and they can meet him there. And then verses 28 through 30, Solomon was asking the Lord to make the temple a place of prayer. So how important is prayer to the church-age believer? Remember, this is the Israelites under the law. We're the church. Is prayer important to the church-age believer? It's crucial. Yes. Absolutely crucial. Yes. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you, you think about, I've been to church growth seminars and things like that, and they, you know, talk about marketing strategy and making yourself, you know, basically non-believers like you, and that is so wrong. So, you know, there are two things that God will bless, that he has promised to bless. Prayer is one of them, especially prayer in accordance with his will. And the other thing that he will promise to bless, it's not any person necessarily, it's not any type of pastor or anything like that, but the proclamation of his word will be blessed because he says, my word will not return to me 
void. Yes, thank you. I was blanking on what, how that went. So, you know, when you accurately teach and preach God's word, he will bless that, and he will bless prayer. And so that is why those are the things we need to focus on as a church. So, yeah, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is where it says to pray without ceasing. Prayer is to be the air we breathe as church-age believers. We're to live a life of prayer and dependence on the Lord, and we see supernatural things happen that way. So it's very exciting. Okay, so section B, Solomon asks God to listen to the repentant. That's verses 31 through 40 of chapter 8. Can I get somebody to read that? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so this section is four categories of prayer, practical prayers. They're all related to the results of sin. So verse 31 is sins against a neighbor. Man sins against his neighbor, and he is made to take an oath. Okay, now in the uh, Mosaic Law, there are a couple, couple of places where you're forced to take an oath as a result of sin. And the first one is in Exodus 22, verses 10 through 12. It says, if a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies, or is hurt, or is driven away while no one is looking. So something happened to the animal. An oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them, that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. See, so the oath before the Lord will help them determine if they're telling the truth. Another example of where an oath is required due to sin is in Numbers chapter 5, and it's verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> and this is for if a husband becomes suspicious of his wife that she is committing adultery on him. Now, it's interesting, it's not written the other way. It's only written one way. So it's, all, it's only written for the woman, but there's a ritual that she would have to go through if the husband is suspicious that she's cheating on him. And it's Numbers 5, verses 18 and 19. This is just part of it. It's a pretty long ritual. But it says, The priest shall then have the woman stand before the Lord, and let the hair of the woman's head go loose, and place the grain offering of the memorial in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy, and in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings a curse. So this water of bitterness is water with some dust of the tabernacle floor in it. Yeah. That's the water of bitterness that brings a curse. The priest shall have her take an oath, 
and shall say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray into uncleanness, being under the authority of your husband, be immune to this water of bitterness that brings a curse. If you, if you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself and a man other than your husband has had intercourse with you, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse, and the priest shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people by the Lord's making your thigh waste away and your abdomen swell. So, that's pretty harsh. And that is to be done if the husband suspects adul adultery, and so the Lord would determine guilt or innocence through that. That is what he's talking about, about taking an oath between people due to sin. 37, I'm sorry, verse 35, is drought due to sin. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, and they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then here in heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send rain on your land. So the remedy for drought is to confess the sin. And then the Lord will teach them his way and pray and ask him, and he will send rain. And you know, David did this. Before this, they had a three-year drought. David went to the Lord and asked him, why is this going on? And it was because what Saul did to somebody, I can't remember who it was, I think it was the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites, you know, who'd had a treaty. And uh, he went to the Gibeonites, and they asked for seven of Saul's descendants to be killed. And so David did that. And then they prayed, he prayed, and the uh, drought ended. Then verse uh, 37 if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people of Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hand toward this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know. Okay, so basically this is kind of a grab bag of bad things. Pestilence, blight, mildew, you know, crop devastation due to locusts, your enemy besieging you, other kinds of plagues. We know that this was going to happen because these things were prophesied in Deuteronomy 28. And verse 22, this is Moses, before they went into the land, you know, telling them the blessings they would get for obedience to the Mosaic Law. That was the first 14 verses of chapter 28. And then the curses they would get through disobedience to the Mosaic Law, and that was verses 15 through 68. So the curses were much more numerous and the blessings, and the curses all came true. 
the curses all came true. So Deuteronomy 28 verse 22 said, The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever, with inflammation, with fiery heat, with a sword, with blight, and with mildew, and they will pursue you until you perish. And that is for if you do not obey the Lord to observe his commandments. Mo the Mosaic Law had built-in blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience. That is a little different than our agreement, really, with the Lord. We were already saved by faith alone in Christ alone, and when that occurs, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, but it is true that if we continue to walk in carnality after being saved, uh, we will receive temporal discipline. So, because the Lord loves us, and he wants us to, he's like a father, and he wants to train us to be a good child. And uh, so many of the blessings that we are, it is possible for us to obtain from obedience can be taken away. But the salvation cannot be taken away. And then I had a note here to look at page 50. This is from the quarterly. It says, The king did not view praying toward the temple as a mere ritual. See, all of these things he's talking about are very practical. Right? When you sin between each other and you're forced to take an oath, pray at the temple. Pray toward the temple. If there's drought, pray toward the temple. Okay? So these things are not ritual. It's not simply something we do. It is very practical to, you know, basically restore fellowship with God after it's been lost through sin. Okay, section C, Solomon asks God to listen to those far away. That's 1 Kings 8, verses 41 through 53. Can I get a reader for that section? Yeah, that was lovely. I want to just make a comment before we moved on to this section because um, listen to this verse and tell me if this sounds familiar to you. This is from Second Chronicles 7.14. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Does that sound familiar? People apply it to the church all the time. It doesn't apply to the church. The church did not exist when this was written. It applies to Israel, and it applies to what Solomon is praying right here. It applies to the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, and so... People apply it to the United States all the time. It doesn't apply to the United States. You know, the United States is not the national people of God. Israel is. We're part of the church. Parts of the United States is part of the church. And so, um, you know, I guess you can use Old Testament language to request the Lord to make our land better. 
but it's not going to have the same effect as it did for them because it's under the Mosaic Covenant that God actually says, if you do these things, that's what Solomon is saying here, then I will, I'm contracted to forgive you. Those are the conditions. Yeah, that's from in Jeremiah. Yeah, if the, the Lord plans to curse a nation and they repent, and that happened practically in Nineveh when Jonah preached to them, and they repented. So, but I, you know, it's just, I, I see that all the time, and I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a good sentiment, but it doesn't, it's out of context. Well, have you ever wondered, how many times has that been prayed? Have I seen that prayed, and the Lord doesn't answer it? Have you noticed that? Our country is marching to Gomorrah. <laughs> and it doesn't stop when you pray this prayer, you know. And uh, so I, I think it, what it does is it weakens your faith. If you think that's going to happen, you pray that prayer, it doesn't apply to you. It applies to Israel under the Mosaic dispensation, the Mosaic covenant. It does not apply to us in the church. It does not apply to the United States. And so it weakens your faith when you pray the prayer and everything continues as it is. Christian Jews are a unique and blessed group. They are part of national Israel. You know, they are, they are Jews. They are the remnant. They are the remnant of Israel. They are the Israel of God. And um, there has always been a remnant, and, but Israel itself nationally has been preserved even though the great majority of them are in unbelief and have been in unbelief for 2,000 years. So and the, it'll take the tribulation to break the pride of national Israel and bring the whole nation to faith. But I just wanted to comment on that because, uh, you know, on Facebook I see that like every other day, <laughs> and, and I'm like, it's a great sentiment, but you you cannot expect the Lord to honor it because it's not what he was talking about when he said that. So anyway, this last section, uh, section C, is again three more prayer categories. One is prayers... Solomon is asking the Lord to listen to foreigners. He's asking the Lord to listen to soldiers on the battlefield. And he's asking the Lord to listen to Israelites who have been taken into captivity due to disobedience. And so the curses of the Mosaic Covenant have fallen upon them, who have repented in captivity and pray to the temple, toward the temple. So about the foreigners, I, I searched all over and tried to think, were there any foreigners that took advantage of this? I don't know if you, anyone can think about any, but I couldn't think of any. You know, I thought about Naaman, the Syrian general, but he didn't pray toward the temple. He kind of... He asked the king if he could heal him of his leprosy, and you know, he, yeah. So I don't know if any foreigner actually took advantage of this offer, but we know that 
Israel. You know, most of the Bible is about Israel. And the Redeemer of Israel is not just for Israel. And this is Isaiah 49.6. It says, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So, you know, if foreigners back in the Mosaic, under the Mosaic law, knew this, they could pray at the temple and the Lord would hear them. I don't know if they took advantage of it. The second one was um, that soldiers from Israel on the battlefield could ask the Lord to intervene for them. So they're far away from the temple, but they're praying toward the temple. And um, this is an example of that. This is Second Chronicles 14 and uh, verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let, no, let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. So that one was taken advantage of. And then the other, the other category, in verse 46, it says, When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin. So there's a good lesson on anthropology, or the nature of man. There is no man who does not sin. And you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near. If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have acted wickedly, he will hear their supplication in heaven your dwelling place and he will maintain their cause. And this one was taken advantage of in a spectacular fashion by Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon all his life. And we have Daniel chapter 9. Most of Daniel chapter 9 is a prayer of repentance by Daniel. And Daniel had the um, practice of praying out of his window toward Jerusalem. So his window was, must have been toward the west. He prayed toward Jerusalem because Solomon is saying, pray toward the temple. And so Daniel prayed toward the temple. And what was the answer of that prayer was the 70-week prophecy at the end. That was God's answer to Daniel's prayer of repentance from captivity toward the temple and uh, the 70 week prophecy, 69 of the weeks have elapsed and were fulfilled very literally. And we are waiting for the 70th week. And when that happens, that will be fulfilled very literally. And that will be the tribulation period, seven years.
tribulation period. So then verse 53 gives a kind of a statement about Israel itself. For you have separated them, Israel, from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance, as you spoke through Moses your servant, when you brought our fathers forth from Egypt, O Lord God. So Israel is uh, special. They were, Dane has preached on this, they were created. They're the only nation that was created by God himself. Because all the nations at Babel had contaminated themselves with this mother-child cult, which sprang up in Babylon back in ancient history. And so the Lord started his own nation. <laughs> and uh, so Israel, we need to appreciate. They are God's special people. We appreciate them. They gave us the scriptures, and they gave us the Messiah. And that's a big deal. Section D, Solomon blesses the people. Can I get a willing reader for 54 through 61? Okay, thank you. So he finished the prayer, and in verse 56, he blessed the Lord. See, we always want the Lord to bless us, right? But the Lord wants us to bless him, too. And I think it is good for us to bless the Lord for his good to us. You know, Solomon here says, Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. Now that sounds familiar. Not one word has failed. Uh, Joshua said the same thing. Joshua 23 and verse 14 said, <clears throat> this is Joshua's address at the end of his life. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been for fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. That is what we hold on to. You know, that is why we come here. and We read this Bible and, you know, the church is we're asking the church to read through the Bible. Well, why do we want to read through the Bible? Because it's true. Yeah. No, you know, when you're when you're younger, when I was younger, the Bible was so boring to me and it was a pain to read it, you know. Uh now I look through it looking for the good stuff. <laughs> you know, I look for the good stuff and because it is reliable and we live in a world where 90% of what we hear are lies. And so it's nice to be able to rely on something. So yeah, verse 58, that he may incline our hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. How does the Lord incline our hearts to himself? I can think of a couple ways. Yeah, he inclines our hearts to himself uh, through Scripture, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by renewing your mind. He inclines our heart to himself by discipline, sometimes. He slaps us around, 
and we say, uncle. <laughs> That's inclining our hearts to himself. And he inclines our hearts to himself through blessing. You know, when he blesses us, when he answers our prayers. So, and then verse 60, the outcome of the king's prayers, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. So all these other gods everywhere are phantoms, you know. They're nothing. They're uh, smoke screens. There is no one else. And that's our role, too, is to let people know there is no one else. You may not like what he tells you, but there is no one else, <laughs> you know. Anne Rice, does everybody know who Anne Rice is? She's an author. She wrote vampire books, occult books. She turned to the Lord, and she wrote some uh, Christian books about Jesus growing up. And uh, she was like that for a while. She said she believed. And then she turned away from it because Christianity teaches against homosexual practice. I forgot what my point was there. But <clears throat> I hope one day we'll see Anne Rice in heaven. Anne Rice. Yeah, and they made some movies about her books, um, about her vampire books, you know. So I hope that we'll see her in heaven one day because carnal Christians are a real thing. Okay, so Solomon celebrates with God's people. Now, the king's passage does not give it justice, so I'm going to read the Chronicles passage that does this. Or at least the, uh, well, I'll read the King's Passage, and then I'll go back to Chronicles. So, verses 62 through 66. Now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court, that was before the house of the Lord, because there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offerings. For the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offerings. So Solomon observed the feast at that time and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God for seven days and seven more days, even fourteen days. On the eighth day he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. So let me just read you the second. So Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1, it says this. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. It was like Elijah, when Elijah called down fire from heaven. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter into the house. The priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. 
all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down on the glory of the Lord, upon the house, bowed down on the pavement, with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good, truly his loving kindness is everlasting. I want to, I want to see that. Can you imagine that? I think we will see something like that. And uh, did you notice that there was so much that they consecrated the ground between the altar and the temple and just piled it on the ground because, he, you know, it would just bury the altar under all this meat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the dedication of the temple included the Day of Atonement because it gives the date. So the Day of Atonement was included in the week of dedication of the temple, and following that was the Feast of Tabernacles. And so that was two weeks altogether. And, um, you know, so, I mean, this chapter just makes it so crazy to think of what Solomon did later. I mean, what amazing stuff happened here, and he threw it all away. Yeah, gosh. I mean, it just makes you, it's just ridiculous. So anyway, so anyway, the last little section is chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and this was Solomon being instructed by God, the Lord appeared to him again to follow the Mosaic Covenant for blessing and reminded him that disobedience to the covenant would bring cursing. That was his reminder. So, and that concludes our lesson for today. Thank you.